Good morning, Hope Church. I am so excited to be with you again. Uh, my name is Robert Meacham. I'm one of the preachers here at Hope, and, and I am just overjoyed to bring a message of hope today. And, and as we've just celebrated the, the birth of our Savior this last week, and, and in just a few short days, we'll usher in uh, 2021, and uh, we're going to put 2020 into the history books. I should probably allow some time for like maybe a standing ovation right now for the, for the, the passing of, of 2020. Uh, but I, I was... I was doing some research about like years in review, and and uh, Logan's going to actually put up something uh, here for for you all to see. This is something I found out it was a, a year in review, and as you can see, it's it says 2020 it got one one out of five stars. It was terrible. Would not recommend, and uh, I would give it zero stars if I could. I absolutely love reading reviews on on uh, Amazon on products that I that I buy, um, and this one just really struck me as as a review of 2020. But as soon as I saw that as the first image of my review of 2020, I decided to stop my research because I knew that I was going to go down a rabbit hole, right? So to sum it up quickly, what a spectacularly, spectacularly crazy year. It is possible to look back on, on what has been the most abnormal year of some of our lives. Uh, and honestly, maybe for some of you might think there's no clear end in sight. Today, we're going to look at, at the writings of two men that have that were faced with arguably tougher times. First David and then Paul. So first, uh, let's read together. If you would, open up your Bible or open up your Bible app. We're going to read from Psalm 143. And it says this. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ears to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into, ju into judgment with your servant. For no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of the Lord. I, I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you so much for who you are. Lord, for after, after expectantly waiting for, for your coming through the Advent season, Lord, we thank you that you have come. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you have bestowed on us throughout 2020, even as crazy as it has been, we hope that we can look back and see a season where you have just provided blessing after blessing and provision after provision. Lord, I just pray that in this time you would inhabit this message that you have given me, Lord, that, that if you have a message that is different than something that, that you've given me, that I would be just obedient to answer your Holy Spirit. Lord, bind the enemy here from any 
influence. Lord, help us to stay focused on your word and on your message. And it's in your son, Jesus' name we pray. And in his name that I preach, amen. So, so you have all figured out uh, that if you've heard me preach before, I, I like to ask a lot of rhetorical questions. I, I like to get you thinking. And so here's my first question for you to think about. Have you ever bought a Christmas gift, maybe even in the last couple of days, you have given a Christmas gift to a child or a grandchild, maybe a, a, a brother or sister, maybe your spouse, and, and that, that toy lost its newness quickly, like maybe say like it's already lost its newness today, just a couple days after Christmas? So why does it seem that the Christmas joy turns so quickly? You all realize how quickly we exchange Christmas joy for New Year anxiety. Often it's because we felt like joy at Christmas. It's because of what we felt with the joy of Christmas. It was not actually anchored deeply in Christ at all. It was invited and it was welcomed but only on our terms. As we were trying to wrap our fears in paper, as we were trying to hide our trials under the tree, or we were trying to drown our sorrows, we thought it was all about the arrival of our Savior Jesus. But we were merely covering our burdens for a couple of weeks with lights and garland and activities. We were too afraid to really, truly trust Him and cast our full anxieties on him. So the new year has come knocking again and we have responsibilities that are, that are coming to our door. We have decisions to be made. We have resolutions to be kept. We have procrastination to be forsaken. Anxiety suddenly casts a dark shadow on our joy and our hearts struggle to withstand it. The reason many of us feel so insecure and anxious at the end of another year is we have taken gifts that are meant to represent the gifts that lead us to the Savior, and we are looking to those gifts for our strength, our hope, our clarity, and our purpose that only God can provide. So when King David found himself in a dry and, and, and an anxious place, he knew where to go. In verse 6, it says, My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. At his lowest moments, when the future looked probably about like 2020 has looked for us, David didn't stuff his anxieties in a short-lived resolution. He crawled to the only well that he had ever truly satisfied him. And he was looking to drink deeply of living water. He let the suffering and opposition and heartache carry him on a stretcher of weakness to the Almighty God. So if we let our anxieties and thirsts lead us to the feet of God himself, he will graciously provide what we truly need at the beginning of the next logical step forward. And it will be our newest opportunity to go forward. David testifies in the rest of the psalm that God will give us strength, but it will not be our own. That God will give us hope, but it will come at great cost. That God will provide clarity, but he will not provide that control. And he will, he will perfect his glory, but it will not be for ourselves. 
I can personally attest that this last year, I have had times where I felt the strength I needed most was measured in meals consumed or minutes slept. I think some of you would agree. Like, and, and many of you can back me up here, like 2020 has reinforced my deep, deep love for coffee. Like it is exactly what I thought I needed for my strength on days where I was very, very tired. But seriously, the strength we need most will always be a spiritual power and resolve to persevere through trials and help us to war against sin and temptation. Look again at the Psalm, verse three through six says, for the enemy has pursued me, crushing me to the ground, making me live in darkness like those long dead. That's, that's David when he's, he's on the run from Saul. Saul is trying to chase him down and he's saying, I am crushed, I'm living in caves, I am afraid. In verse four he says, my spirit is weak within me. My heart is overcome with dismay. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all you have done. I reflect on the work of your hands. In verse six, I spread out my hands to you. I am like parched land before you. When David ran out of his own resources, worn out by fear and opposition, he didn't dig deeper into himself. He stretched out his empty hands to the one who had worked and fought for him so many times before. David knows he is not merely a victim of sin committed against him, but that he deserves God's anger. He does not deserve compassion or support because of the sin that he has committed. Verse seven and eight says, answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will be like those going down to the pit. Let me experience your faithful love in the morning for I trust you. Reveal to me the way I should go because I long for you. The secret ingredient to David's joy is his awareness that as a sinful man like him should never get to experience this kind of happiness. But God would be righteous to turn away from David. Instead, he delights to shower David with steadfast love. David faced a hundred impossible decisions every day. Obviously while he was king, but maybe even more while he was on the run from Saul. He had to exercise wisdom and discernment at all times. And under incredible pressure, and then in the most dangerous situations, he needed clarity. And the clarity we need to make difficult decisions today, especially as we enter a new year, comes not from meticulous planning, it does not come from precise budgeting or scheduling, but it comes from lifting our eyes to God, knowing Him more through what He says by opening the scriptures, knowing Him more through waiting on Him in prayer, knowing Him more by deepening our joy in Him and seeing His glory fulfilled. The most freeing part of David's joy in God is that it is not ultimately about him. Part of what makes happiness so elusive is that we are always tempted to try and put ourselves at the center of it. The deepest human happiness, though, has been liberated from that temptation 
and loves instead to hide in and behind the living God. We read in verse 11 and 12 of Psalm 143 that even when David pleads for deliverance and safety, he wants God, not David, to be glorified. He wants his people and his enemies to see that God did it. Do you regularly ask God in your life, in your relationships, in your neighborhood, in your ministry, in your work, in, your, in what you do for fun, do you ask him to be magnified and not yourself? Pastor Jeff sent a text message to me and a few others a couple weeks ago, and it has stuck with me every single day. And, and honestly, that's, a, that's, that's pastoring done right, because if you can send a sentence via text to people and they are thinking about it every single day for three weeks, you know you've hit one out of the park. And this is what, this is what the question was. Now, I'm sure some of you may, may remember it because you might have been on that thread. It said, if God answers... Every single one of your prayers, who would benefit more, yourself or others? I'm going to say that again because I really want that to sink in with you, to, to have you understand the implications of what I'm asking. It says, if God answered all of your prayers, who would benefit more, yourself or others? If his greatest glory, God's greatest glory, is our greatest joy, we will begin to pray more like David prays. So let's be focused on his glory and the growth and benefit of others. And we will see that we will be pulled up out of our distress and our anxiety and our fear and our oppression. The end of the year is a great time to remember what we are created for, to glorify God. And it is a great time to recenter our lives practically around a kingdom purpose. So we're going to transition now and looking at, at King David from, from the Old Testament and, and reading his psalm, we're going to transition to, to 2 Timothy to highlight three themes that could fall under kind of a general heading of Christ protects his people in moments like these. So in, in times of unrest and certainty, Paul definitely knew that. And in 2 Timothy, he's writing his, uh, you know, his, his last letter to Timothy from prison, knowing of what was imminent. He knew his execution was imminent. And I'd say he knows a little bit about living through a rough year. So let's consider the following truths. Okay, there are three truths from, from 2 Timothy I want to highlight. So the first one is, he calls us to endure. In tough times, he calls us to endure. So there are times when it seems like few are defecting, and then there are other times that it seems that there are, there are quite a few people leaving your side. And, and even your pastor has, has highlighted from, from the pulpit this data and evidence that it shows that how our church body has changed in this last year. Paul wrote this letter in a rough season. It was not a time of revival and jubilee. Times were tough. And it was, we could probably assume that the churches that, that Paul was writing to, to from prison, they were struggling as well. So Paul writes a, a warning in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, 
and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. This wasn't exactly distant for Paul. It was painfully close. Paul writes in, in the first chapter of 2 Timothy, he says, all who are in Asia turned away from me. It, it, I mean, it sounds heartbreaking enough, but he even he talks about uh, Demas in chapter 4, verse 10. And, and Demas actually is mentioned as one of his disciples in, in Colossians and Philemon. He says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Can you sense the ache that Paul was going through in his heart as he writes that Demas, in love with his present world, the present world that has Paul imprisoned and on the verge of execution. So we can't pretend that this year has obviously been a trial, but all the things that we've gone through with social distance mandates and, and widespread, widespread anxiety, what we're seeing is it is sifting the church like wheat. For some, these have been precious days of new depth, of serious and focus and devotion. Some will think fondly back at 2020. And for some, these times have eroded and hollowed out the heart of their faith. Your roots might be loose. And some of you are seeing people turn away. Some people that you have relied on in the church and have become close to may be drifting away. And in a day in which the ways are parting, Paul calls, calls to Timothy and us, he's telling us to endure. Paul himself endures with eternal glory in view, in, in sight. He is, he is writing with eternal glory in sight. And he promises in Christ that if we endure, we also will reign with him. He says to Timothy directly, he says, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it. That's in verse 14 of chapter three. And then he warns, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. And in verse five, of chapter four, he says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Hope Church, in these days, when some are drifting away, just like Demas in, in love with the world, let's follow our faithful Christ and be able to say in the end, chapter four, verse seven says, I will have fought the good fight. I have finished the race because I have kept the faith. Let's finish this segment of the race God has put before us in this season and keep the faith together. And we come into this fresh season of kingdom life in 2021. The second truth from 2 Timothy that I want to highlight is that he calls us to speak with truth and grace. It is striking what a contrast there is in 2 Timothy between how Paul characterizes the false teaching and what he sees Timothy should be. First of all, he gives us the negative. He gives us what to avoid. He gives us what characterizes the false teaching, and it may not be what you think of. Here are three verses from chapter two, and I'm gonna read through these, through these quickly. It says, verse two, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, chapter two, verse 14 says, charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Verse 16 and 17, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolishness. Ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. It sounds 
a lot like false teaching that Paul is concerned about is a lot more like the daily drivel on social media and television than it is like formal teaching. So some false teachers are, they are definitely preachers or, or teachers, no doubt, but most are not. They sow seeds in your polite conversations. They don't mount on a pulpit, but fill our ears in the other 120 waking hours of the week. Think of that. Half an hour a week of preaching or hearing a message of truth versus 90 hours a week of other influences. An article written in the Gospel Coalition, it observed, it says, the church is increasingly just one voice among many speaking into a Christian's life. A church's worship habits may occupy two hours of a Christian week, but podcasts, radio shows, cable news, social media, streaming entertainment, and other forms of media account for upwards of 90 hours of their week. And consider the effect of our current pandemic and social distancing. Christians have been driven yet further into a fully online existence. This provides a, a, a I wanna, don't wanna call it an opportunity, but it provides a, a temptation to drink from an often toxic well. And Christians are being formed in whatever online echo chamber that they call home. Folks, I'm not telling you something that you don't already know. Obviously, social media can, not always, but can be a, a cesspool. <laughs> it really can be. Wisdom, for some, is to avoid it altogether. For others, you may be called upon to, to take up the opportunity to do good, to speak truth, to have some small influence in those areas. But don't just float in without being intentional. We are living in a digital world that needs more voices of truth and grace. But this is a really important note. So in the ancient uh, content, uh, you know, there was content war even going on in, in places like Ephesus and, and Thessalonica. And, the, and so they had, they had people from the outside pushing on them and, and people from inside the church trying to, to speak truth. What Paul says is, don't plug your ears. Paul doesn't say to cover your eyes. He also doesn't say, don't talk. He has something very positive to say. He says, use words to give grace, to speak truth to provide clarity, to produce peace. Speak and type constructive and clarifying words rather than destructive and confusing words. Use careful, intentional words rather than flippant and unclear words. You see, what you get, uh, when you get that regular stream of clear, constructive, life-giving, soul-feeding words into your ears and your hearts. Here's how Paul puts it in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26. He's aiming this at the Lord's servant so that we know it's not just for Timothy. He says this, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snares of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And do we have a standard and a source, as Paul says in 2 Timothy? Yes, we, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So this brings me to another question for you to think on. How much of your worldview is shaped by social media and outside influences rather than the breathed out guidance of the Holy Spirit? The final truth from 2 Timothy. He is calling us to keep the end in sight. So the end of 2 Timothy in chapter 4, verse 1 through 8, is kind of like the climax of the letter. And Paul solemnly charges Timothy for the final time to preach God's word. And then says, the time of my departure has come in verse 6. And in this final section of the letter, before closing his comments, Paul twice draws attention to the coming Christ. The coming Christ who we just celebrated his, his arrival. We are also looking forward to his coming again. Verse 1, chapter 4, says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and in his kingdom. And in verse 8, it says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Paul keeps the end in sight. Christian endurance just does just that. It does not just struggle to grunt out one more day. It looks to the end and looks to Christ and His grace for daily strength in light of His final rescue. Oh, church, I'm telling you, this pandemic will end. This life will end. This age will end. But Jesus Christ is coming back, which is spectacularly good news for His people. He will bring full and appropriate and uncompromising justice to those who have rejected him and turned away from him. But he will bring rescue and reward for all those who have loved his appearing. I love these promises laid out in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Chapter 4 verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And the promise of his reward, just like I just read from, from uh, verse 8, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not me, but also all who love his appearing. These promises focus our eyes towards the rescue and the reward that can only be found in Christ Jesus. Today, we not only look back at 2020, but we surely look forward to the end of this season and to the end of this age when Christ comes again and he will repay his enemies, but he will rescue and reward his people. I know that some listening here today have a desire to be rescued, a desire to be rescued from torment of, of anxiety or depression or, or addiction or hate or grief. The list can go on and on. What are you waiting for? Call upon the Lord Jesus. Romans 10, 9, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. This is a promise of rescue. And for those of you who are desiring greatly to receive your promised reward, I remind you of David's prayer. 143.8, Psalm 143.8 says, let me experience your faithful love in the morning for I trust you. Reveal to me the way I should go because I long for you. Endure 
church. Endure as David endured. Endure as Paul endured. Your efforts to live a kingdom-centered life will not be forgotten. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so blessed to know that you have a desire to rescue and reward your people. Lord, I pray right now for those that need that rescue. I pray that they will call upon your name. Lord, that they would just desire to be at your feet, to, to, to have you, their thirst quenched as they live in a parched land. Lord, I pray that we would continue to seek you every single day as we, as we seek our reward. Our reward is, is in our work to glorify you, to magnify you in all that we say and all that we do in every single area that we work or play. Lord, I pray that we would be kingdom-focused every single day. And Lord, we love you so much for your rescue and your reward. It's in your son Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And with that, I say always to you, Hope Church, we love you, grace and peace.